Hello and welcome to Learn It From a Layman. I'm your host, Timothy Cox. We're joined today by many distinguished individuals and also Carl. Um, we have Matt and Cameron, our regulars. And today, as a special treat, Katie, who is an expert in many things, one of them being our topic of the day. Wait, uh, how am I doing? No, I give you like a B minus. B minus. Picky, picky. Except that I'm an expert in many things. I'm. No, not. That, well, I'd say not I'm enough sure credit to Katie and not enough ah. dig at, at me. Not so. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I, w- okay. I was kind of uh, half-hearted. That's yeah. I'll do, yeah. Be- I'll do better on. next time. Exactly. Okay. Um, a real quick introduction. This is uh, uh, Katie's first time on our podcast, so thank you for coming on, Katie. Um, yeah. To give a little brief bio of Katie, and then you can add anything you want. So our our podcast tonight is going to be on basics of photography, and so we brought on Katie because Katie's got a lot of experience with this and a lot of education in this area. So Katie has a master's degree in, what's your master's in, Katie? <laughs> I have a master's of fine arts and arts administration. Okay, all right, and, um, and so Katie's... Essentially a fancy way of saying I have an MBA the art perfect so, so yeah outside uh, and besides then having all that knowledge of, of art, art administration and art she also has a lot of work experience doing photography and those types of things and uh anecdotally katie took uh, my wife and i's um uh, engagement photos which are awesome so uh all right well that we're gonna go ahead and get <laughs> it was a while ago <laughs> And and some of your wedding photos as well. That is true. Also, some of the wedding photos. Um, he's done a lot of work for the fam- for the family in general, and she's been awesome at this. And so she's got a lot of knowledge to uh, share with us. So we want to start with just some very basic things, Katie. Um, what is so, uh, most days? Obviously, we're talking about digital photography. Let's talk about film photography. What happens in a camera? Love to. So um, if you go all the way back to the beginning, um, about 1820 is when the first photograph was actually taken. It was taken by a gentleman named Nice Hornips. Um, and it was an accident, really. He had treated some um, glass that he had at his house and he put it into a box that they call the camera obscura that um, they used to use for drawing. So they'd go into this little box and it would project the image upside down and they'd trace it really fast. Um, and he did this on just of a rooftop in France in 1820. And it was the first photograph ever made. So when the very definition of photography is drawing with light. So what takes place in a camera is that you're taking materials that have not been exposed to light and you're exposing them and imprinting an image on them because um, they're being exposed to light. So that is, you know, in a nutshell, what happens. Um, Obviously with film photography, there's a lot more chemical work that goes into it that I was a lot more familiar with, uh, you know, 10 years ago when I was going through my bachelor's program. But um, I love film photography. It's my favorite thing to shoot when I get a chance uh, because there isn't any room for error. Um, in today's digital world, so many people 
you know, can take, I just bought, in fact, I just bought a card um, not too long ago that it's like a 400 gigabyte SD card for my camera. It takes 4,000 photos. Uh, it can hold 4,000 photos on it. <laughs> so pretty much I have 4,000 chances to get. That's a big roll of film. The shot. Yeah. So, but when you shoot with film, you don't have that opportunity. Right. You know, you, you've got to get it right from the beginning um, or you're going to waste a lot of money and a lot of time. I really like drawing with light. That's I've never heard that before, and that's a awesome description is or definition or whatever. Um, so when when so you uh, when you studied photography and, and the work that you've done in photography, how much of it is uh, these days even um, film based versus digital? You know, almost all of it is digital now. It's not uh, film isn't taught very often anymore. Um, unless you go into a collegiate setting. Um, I think most art programs that offer um, a bachelor's degree in photography will teach you the basics of film just because you have to have an idea of the history of something and how it works. In, in my opinion, anyway, you have to be able to know how it works to really be able to do it well and do it justice. Um, so there, I, there are a lot of uh, departments that will just do digital. It's all digital. But for the program that I was in, I went to Southern Utah University, and we studied 35 millimeter film. We studied one, uh, 120 film with a toy camera called a Holga. That um, it's a, it's a great and a terrible camera. We had to duct tape it shut so that there weren't any light leaks. Um, <laughs> we also did four by five large format. Uh, so, but most of the time now, what you'll see is people will say, oh, well, film is so, you know, out of date and I can just do everything on my digital camera and I don't need to know how to do film, which I think is an injustice to, to the art, but that is, again, just my opinion. Right. So there, are there any, I mean, other than maybe some just artistic effects, there are no benefits of doing film pictures versus a digital picture? Not necessarily. Um, there, there is some debate on um, whether or not a digital file will preserve for as long as a negative will. Um, it, it, like I said, there's some debate on it that, Interesting. no, if, if you shoot digitally, you'll have that digital file forever. But um, just like everything else, that digital file is going to lose a little bit of you know, of its resolution and, and things right. like that over time. So whereas generally if you preserve film really, really well, um, it will develop just as clear as the day you, you developed it originally. Huh. If you preserve it well. Um, right. So. That's an interesting computer science aside, thinking about how, yeah, how we uh, encode uh, the digital information and how is it stored and moved from different um, you know, hard drives or whatever. Yeah, you could get some lost information potentially. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so, the, I, a lot of the things that I've shot film, I've really tried to keep the film slides preserved really well, so that if I ever need to go back to them, I can. And in fact, I um, I worked for a photographer in Cedar City named Carl Hugh, and he um, he had a client come in one day, and they said, "We've got this photo." of our dad that's been washed out. And it was, I, I, I want to say it was of him like shearing sheep or something for the university. And they asked Carl if he took it and he said, no, but I know who did. 
And he called the guy and said, can you bring it over so I can scan it in? And the guy brought it over and he said, I'll tell you what, here's the benefit of having a really good archival system because all you had to do was tell me the date and I could go find the negative, um, the yeah. date and, and where it was taken. Right. So there are some photographers that are very uh, good at, at archiving their negatives well and others that are, that are not. So. Right. Tim, for example. <laughs> yeah, Tim, Tim's you know. terrible. I deserve it. <laughs> But I do it on purpose so everyone else can feel better about their photography. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, that's that's. I've I've always wondered. I mean, I've been lo- alive long enough now to have made the transition from film to uh, digital, and I didn't know if there was actually any benefit on film um, nowadays with all of the megapixel things going on. So yeah. Um, well, okay. and like I said, there. You know, if you really want to if you really want to prove your skill as a photographer um, film, you, there's no room for error. Um, you, you have to get it right. The first shot, or you have to, like in my case, um, I shot my entire senior project on four by five slide film. So that's where you, you stick it in a slide holder and then you put the cloth over you just like the old timey photographers and you're looking through the glass to photograph it. And if, if I didn't get it right, then that was, you know, half an hour of loading and shooting and then half an hour of developing and drying and another half an hour of scanning that I, if it, if it wasn't right and it didn't look good, I'd have to go back and do it all over again. Right. So, but, so I, with, I think it shows your skill. Right. With digital photography, you can kind of just throw a spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Yep. Yep. Absolutely which, by the way, I've used that metaphor probably 100 times on this podcast. So it's really useful to me. Um, Must be a father of children. (laughs) A lot of spaghetti (laughs) on the walls around here. Um, Okay, so Tim, I know you had a couple questions for Katie. And as an aside also, Tim, um, does some – do you teach photography, Tim? I do. I'm a total expert on it. I like Katie. There's a reason we brought Katie on and and Tim did the intro today. So – but Tim, uh, questions for Katie? No, yeah, and and just to to clarify, I um the I am a junior high school teacher, and they needed someone to teach our digital media class, and so they said, Tim, can you teach that for us? And so one summer, I in you know beginning of year, I spent a lot of time on YouTube learning about photography and digital media, and now I teach it to junior high school kids. So I'm in no way an expert, but you know. I've uh, studied it a little bit, so now I know enough to know, you know, how to pretend like I'm an expert. Um, anyway. Which is what we do on this podcast, That's except every once in a while we get someone uh, that has real information. Really is, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Katie, I was thinking if you could talk from a photographer's perspective on how a, um, like, what um, the a, a photographer does technically, you know, with a camera to get a good image in different conditions, how can you manipulate the camera uh, in its different settings and, and abilities? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always the option to set your camera to auto and just let it do everything for you. I would not recommend that. Um, <laughs> I, that hurts my soul a little bit. Every time somebody says, I'll just set my camera to auto and let it do everything for me. Um, there are a couple of different things that you want to look at when you're when you're photographing 
um, in different conditions in particular. Uh, for example, I have been doing photography for, now I have to do the math in the head. Um, I've been doing photography for about 25 years, 26 years. And I started on the sidelines of football games with my dad doing photojournalism. Um, and when you're photographing in those conditions, you want your, you know, your ISO, which is the amount of light that you let into the camera uh, to be fairly high and you want your shutter speed to be fairly fast. And that's how long the shutter will actually stay open for on the camera. And you want it to be faster because you're capturing motion. Um, if you're shooting in lower light conditions, um, again, kicking the ISO up so that it's letting in a little bit more light. But, you know, you can also, uh, I like to shoot star photography a lot and I'll, I'll always bring a tripod with me and then um, just put my camera to bulb, which means that it will leave the shutter speed open until I tell it to close. Um, and it lets in enough light to, to photograph stars. So you really, like the two main components that you wanna watch when you're, when you're using a digital camera is your ISO and your shutter speed. Um, and those will really control uh, whether or not your, your photo captures motion and whether or not it's lit properly. And, and just to recap for everyone, so ISO is the, um, so the higher the ISO, the more sensitive your camera is to light. Um, the lower yeah. it is, the less sensitive it is to light, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, would you with your shutter speed, it's the opposite. The lower your shutter speed is, the longer it's going to, to stay open, the more sensitive it will be to light. The higher your shutter speed is, the less sensitive it will be to light. And um, there's kind of a, um, there's a give and take, right? Like, so right. If, if people are wondering, why, why don't you just always have a, a crank your ISO real high? Um, like it's, it's uh, in some ways it can lower the quality of your, uh, of your uh, photography, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this, this is something that you saw a lot when digital cameras were first coming out is that um, they hadn't quite mastered how to, how to get that, that happy number where you could go in and shoot a photo indoors without a flash and not have your photo be pixelated and grainy. Um, so there, there really is a give and a take. You don't, most of the digital cameras today though, I, I mean, it's so cheating in so many ways because you can go up to, you know, 6,400 ISO, which at one point in time was just unheard of. And you can go even higher now and, and it shoots just fine. You know, it doesn't need any more light to come in and generally the photos aren't pixelated, but there is a give and a take and you need to, you need to be aware of it as you're, as you're photographing. And it's something that I have become really complacent about um, as I photograph family and stuff. I am notorious for getting the light set up in one location and then moving to another location and forgetting to check again. So um, I'll have photos that, you know, looked really great in one spot and then they're totally blown out and you can't tell that it's human in another space. Like I've gotten really bad at just, I don't do it anymore. I'm not in the habit of, of checking it the way that I should. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tim, did you have other questions? Is that it? Um, yeah. How about um, one more? So uh, Katie on uh on a um, different level, when when you are um, taking photography, what do you have in mind, kind of uh, artistically, uh, some of the basic principles of getting a good shot? Um, 
you know, how, how do you artistically set up a good a good image? Oh, there there are certain rules um, that you that they kind of teach you when you start a basic photography class that you want, you know, you want to try to follow as much as you can. Um, the rule of thirds is one of those. If you take a shot or a photograph and you split it into nine sections, you want your photograph to fall into one of the thirds or at a cross point in in those in that third. Um, and that, especially when you're doing portrait photography, that rule of thirds is really important because um, it, it makes the photo a little bit more appealing. Uh, there is a principle called leading lines where you want all of the lines to lead into your subject matter so that all of the focus just goes straight to, to your subject matter. You also wanna take into consideration texture and contouring and, and um, you know, where, where you're photographing at because that can make a big difference in, in what you do photo-wise. Uh, for me, I, um, I've kind of gotten away from the more traditional uh, snap a picture, everybody smile, and really have gotten more into, I shoot for projects now. So while I was in college, I started photographing dishes, which is random and don't ask me why, but I photographing dishes and setting them up in different, um, different setups and breaking things. And um, I started photographing in water and that's a whole different, you know, that's a whole different ballgame. It requires a whole different set of skills. Um, but really the main things like, that every photographer will tell you is to watch your roll of thirds, to watch your leading lines and to watch your framing. Those are kind of the basic, you can get a good shot if you, if you watch these things. Hmm. Okay. Um, and you've done photography of a lot of different, like you said, different objects, different things, different people. Um, right. What are some of the biggest challenges that you run into when, when uh, photo uh, doing people photography? Oh. People are um, people are prone to not be natural in photos. Like it's just something <laughs> that has been ingrained to us. In it, like from the very beginning, I think it goes all the way back to the fact that when when you know they started doing the daguerreotypes and wet plate photography in the states, you know they actually had to sit still for so long in order to get the the pictures they needed that people you know would wear these really big smiles or or um, you know just look very unnatural and that is still something that a lot of people like I worked in um, a children's portrait studio in in northern Utah for about four or five years and that was what I saw especially from the parents all the time like just very rigid and I'm gonna smile and it's gonna look like really a photo that could end up on Dateline like how did <laughs> we not know this person was crazy um but and and then it just depends on the age group i mean uh little kids pose their own problem in um in that they you know it's a stranger and a stranger is trying to get them to smile and it's intimidating to them and and it can be really scary you know and newborn babies cry and it makes that a little bit more difficult but you know, it just really depends on the age group um, and, and 
I will always until the day I die say that newborn babies are my favorite to shoot because they once you get them calm, you can get the most beautiful pictures. Um, newborn babies and, and sports photography. When I'm photographing people, those will always be at the top of my list. Right. Now about, um, uh, so does the background um, affect how like, uh, the, I'm, I'm, you already talked about camera settings and things like that, but you know, let's say I brought my family into the studio for a picture. Does the, do I get to, does the color of the background uh, chosen by like the photographer based on like what they're wearing or uh, like color of hair I mean or or d does it not matter and whatever you know the people want to pick that's uh, the you know the, the pictures will turn out with a good photographer you know it, nowadays I would say that it doesn't really matter whatever you wear is going to be fine most photographers will will tell you like before you go to take pictures that you know uh, um, I always suggest that people look on Pinterest and see, like look at different color palettes and things like that. Um, but now that we've gotten away from, you know, back in the day when you'd go to Sears or Kitty Candidates or somewhere and they'd pull down the background that's a picture of a fireplace with a tree and you, you know, it's clearly not your living room. It's not realistic at all. Um, and you'd have people come in and their kids would be wearing like, I don't know, jeans and a t-shirt and sitting on this really formal background with a Christmas tree. Um, that's not so much the case anymore. I think that uh, portrait studios have really tried to, to tap into that modern feel where it's more uh, wide open spaces and, and more neutral backgrounds. And so I don't think that you run into that problem as much anymore um, okay. i think that the backgrounds have, have really been simplified which is great um if i can make a note i i've noticed in some of the time last few times that i've done family pictures or seen pictures taken um some of the photographers i've noticed have started using even green screens so they'll just take a picture of the group on the on a basically green screen and then you can add whatever backgrounds you want to the back of it and as long yeah. as you take it right and as long as the people that you're photographing are not wearing green <laughs> and do not have blonde hair <laughs> yeah um <laughs> the photographer that i worked with in cedar city did that for a few dances he did a lot of the high school dances and um when we would get ready to go in and, and put the background in on the green screen there was inevitably some kid that wore like a teal blue that had enough green in it that we had to go and cut it out um, of the photo so that, you know, they didn't blend into the background. Or on the one that really surprised me was that um, blonde hair would reflect back the green. Kind of uh, like if you go swimming and you have too much chlorine in the water, your blonde hair turns green. The green screen would reflect back and, and you'd see a lot of, of these blonde girls um, have part of their head gone because it had blended into the green screen. Hmm. So, is that like a, a subtle dig at blondes there as well? Then part of I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just the color of their hair. So you'd probably run into it with people with white hair or gray hair as well. But we never photographed them on a green screen. Yeah. Um, 
So, and I, I work with green screen every day now, um, because I, I work remotely and I, uh, am on zoom all day. That's the only way I communicate with my coworkers. And so I, there are sometimes that green screen just doesn't, just doesn't work. <laughs> Try your best. It doesn't, you know, so, but, uh, Cameron's right there. There was for a period of time and there still is a lot of photographers that will say, we'll just do green screen and then we'll put in whatever background you want. And also to note, which I don't think we noted at the beginning of the podcast, Cameron, your wife just told you that you were correct. So <laughs> make note of that in your journal. <laughs> it has been noted and we'll remember it to stay forward. <laughs> yes. uh, also, um, I think we've glossed over aperture a little bit. I think we should probably. Hit oh, yeah, that. yeah. Aperture and depth of field. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Making up words yeah. now, are we? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, aperture and depth of field really um, can, depth of field in particular can really make a, a photograph go from man to really fantastic. And that's um, when you, you know, t- you take the, the photograph and if you have a greater depth of field, then everything is in focus. Um, one photographer that was really, outstanding at that was um Ansel Adams everything that he that he did had a greater depth of field um he started what he called the the F64 club which is the um the largest your your you know your f-stop could go at that time you and it freezes everything so but when you're photographing portraits you know, sometimes it's nice to to blur out a lot of that background, and so you have a shallow depth of field, um, which means you know the the subject is in is in focus and they're clear, but the background isn't necessarily in focus, um, and it you know it brings them really to the center. So, anything else you wanted to add about that, Cameron? Because you said we glossed it over. Uh, no, I, I think that's good. Just you know, well, I want to make sure everyone you know knows that. I mean, and that's one of the fun. Well, just that's one of the fun things you can do is with your depth of field, like you can blur the background by doing the shallower one. Just have your center person <coughs> focus, stuff like that. So. Okay. Hey. And, oh, Tim, you have another question? Oh, well, I was just going to ask Katie to talk about how all the, these these different settings like de- uh, aperture and shutter speed can interplay. Like, you know, if you have an open aperture and a long shutter speed, you know, like it might you might have a washed out image or like so. Yeah. To, it, okay, maybe you can talk through kind of like how do you how do you adjust, you know, w- changing one? How does that affect another? And, and what do you do? Yeah. So um, your aperture can really like your aperture goes back to your um, your f-stop and your shutter speed. And again, f-stop is you know the amount of light that you're allowing to come to the camera. Shutter speed is how long it's it's staying open. Um, one rule of thumb that my professors always taught us in 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 our classes at SU was the kind of the magic number for um, your ISO was to keep your ISO at, at 100 um, or 200 because it, it made sure that the photo wasn't grainy and you could always um, enhance an image if it was darker. You can always up your um, your 
balance and, and uh, your exposure. But if you overexpose a photo, it's really hard to get information back. Um, so so bet, it's, it's better, better to, to turn out a little dark. A little than, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's good so, to know. But that, you know, when you're, when you're working with all of those, always the first thing that I will try to adjust so I don't have to mess with my ISO is I will, I will try to adjust my, my f-stop and my shutter speed um, just because the photo is going to be significantly clearer um, if, I, if, I can, if I can avoid you know, adjusting my ISO. Um, so that's always, but it just depends on the subject, the subject that you're shooting. Um, it all comes down to how fast are they moving? Are you doing photos? Like portraits, are you doing, you know, night photography? What what subject are you are you photographing? And how much light is there already in the room? Katie, would you real quick explain f-stop for? Uh, I think uh, people might be like f-stop. What's that weird? Yeah. You know, what is that? So f-stop is um, f-stop is how wide your shutter is going to open. So your the the shutter that you know opens and closes when you push the button when you push the button is controlled by your f-stop, which dictates how wide it opens, and your shutter speed, which dictates how long it stays open. And so, if I've got it right, the the lower the f-stop number, the wider open your uh, the yep. opening is. Okay. Yep, and the the less, um, the wider the f-stop, the the less motion you'll capture. Things will tend to be blurry. Uh, for example, I used to shoot football at Southern Utah University for um, the Daily Journal, and I would pretty consistently, uh, your f-stop goes up in certain increments, and at one point in time, I could list them all off for you, and I can't anymore. Um, but I would always leave my f-stop like at 16, which is kind of in the middle, and then adjust everything else around that so that I was capturing motion because that was more important to me than, you know, getting artistic and things like that. Interesting. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's been a long time since I, <laughs> right. since I taught right. photo. Since I taught <laughs> photo. So it's been, awesome. it's been a hot minute. I've got a couple more layman questions here. So I know that sure. um, we've talked about kind of different like if you're in a studio, then you can control a lot of that. The, the settings you talked about sports photography, obviously you're not in control of that. You just have to kind of grab yeah. what you can. But um, when you're outside doing a portrait, um, which you've done to me before, <laughs> uh, there's you, you have to uh, deal with, you know, the, the sun and well obviously then when clouds come and then backgrounds and those types of things uh but in, right. in particular i guess like what do you do about shadows is it better to um like I, I think when you took my pictures cameron was standing there with some type of reflective surface well what what yeah. all do you do with that <laughs> oh, that is that when he was holding it in front of your face I think? <laughs> just blocking yeah. it out all of blocking. all of our engagement photos blocking are actually just of my wife so <laughs> So it just, it depends on the conditions. Um, I use a reflector a lot, um, which is, you know, it, it's generally a big circular item that Cameron and I fight about whether or not it should be on the gold side or the silver side. 
<laughs> it's on the silver side. <laughs> Don't listen to Cameron. I have a degree in this. Um, so the reflector will, will take light and it will bounce it back, uh, you know, back onto the subject. So if there are shadows or things like that, if you can get the reflector in the right place, then it can eliminate a lot of those. But on the other end of the spectrum, if the sun is directly above you, I can reflect light back, but you're still going to be washed out. And so a lot of reflectors inside of them, if you unzip it, they will have um, a filter uh, that you can hold up and it softens all of the light coming through. So you can hold it above them. You'd see this a lot back in our day and age, like when when those of us that are, are here speaking right now, we're in high school, when photographers would come and they'd photograph sports teams outside, they'd almost always have the little scrim that they would put up, up over the top of the person to diffuse the light. So it, it just really depends. Uh, the last couple of times that I've done photos, we've actually forgotten to bring a reflector. And um, <laughs> Cameron, bless his heart, uh, was wearing a white shirt. And so he got to be my reflector <laughs> um, i just told him go go stand right here and uh i'll tell you where to move and and luckily it worked and, and we were photographing one of our nieces senior pictures and she thought it was hilarious so you know <laughs> we had a good time with that it's a great analogy yeah. of a good marriage yeah the, uh, be willing to be your wife's reflector exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> hey just yeah don't um, <laughs> photographers like an overcast day for that kind of yes. diffusing? Okay. Yeah, for that very reason, photographers really like when when there's just a little bit of cloud cover overhead because it it diffuses the light from the sun automatically. Okay. One other question from me, and then we can open it up to either Cameron or Tim or Matt. But the um, I know that nowadays, you, so you take all these digital photo, photographs, like you said, you've got like this whole, mm -hmm. um, and then you've got, uh, uh, you know, your your editing software, right? You've got uh, Photoshop right. or whatever it is. And uh, how much time do you spend in like post editing? How uh, what kind of adjustments do you frequently make? What what kind of magic can you do there? <laughs> um, that really depends entirely on the client. Um, that I'm photographing for. Like I have some things that I will uh, do automatically. I have some presets in Lightroom um, that I'll that I'll do, and then I always start in Lightroom, and then I export everything into Photoshop. Um, just I can do a lot of global uh, edits in Lightroom. So light, you know, my white balance, my exposure, my shadows, and my highlights, I can do in Lightroom, and then um, export into Photoshop. Uh, there oh. are times with Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Oh, I was just going to ask, could you in like, um, you know, 30 seconds, what what are your automatic um, things that you do? Yeah. So automatically, when I open a photo, I will almost always open up the shadows a little bit. So I'll, I'll um, take my shadows and I'll and I'll open them up a little bit so that shadows aren't quite so harsh. And then I. Um, I will generally lighten them a little bit because I more often than not, I've shot a little dark. So I've got some room to play with, um, with exposure and things. And then I will uh, up my contrast and my saturation a little bit, just because I like things to be really bright and pop. Um, and then from there, after I've done that, I uh, 
will generally um, create, it gets a little more complicated after that and I'll create a mask and um, darken the background a little bit so that the subject really stands out a little bit more. So, and then you get into, you know, retouching the face. If you've got a teenager that has acne, um, I'll almost always retouch at least underneath the eyes and fly away from the hair. Um, and, uh, you know, then it just depends on whether or not it was a group. And we, Cameron and I have one nephew that just cannot take pictures seriously for the life of him. Like he does not want to be there and he's going to let us know. And so maybe one shot in 25, we'll have Garrett looking at the camera and smiling normal. Mm. And so we always have to, you know, go back through and find the one that looks the best of everybody else. So we can move Garrett's head from one photo to another. Uh, it's called the head swap. And that is always lots of fun. <laughs> so that's some Photoshop magic there. We'll, so. we'll, we'll certainly need that if, if this podcast ever goes like, uh, you know, on on a poster somewhere. And we, then we're going to need to do some serious head swapping. Can I head swap with, say, Brad Pitt? Or, I mean, what are my options? Yes, <laughs> sure. You, you let me know. Okay. You let me know who Debbie wants you to be. <laughs> exactly. And I will. And I will do that. All right. <laughs> Because so, okay. um, let's face it, the wives are really in charge. That is true. And I am the reflective surface. Yes. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, final questions, Cameron or Tim or Matt? Um, I guess one, if uh, you're looking at getting into photography or, you know, at, at any level, beginner, medium, advanced, whatever, what types of things do you look for when you're selecting equipment? like, well, cameras? Uh, so I um, I have always been a fan of Nikon. I will probably always use Nikon. It's just what I just grew up with. With the brand. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Nikon, the brand. And then from there, you really, your next biggest expense, once you choose your body, and most most of the camera bodies now are going to have, you know, they're, they're going to be sufficient for your needs. Um, the next thing you want to look at is your lenses. Um, and the lenses can vary from, you know, price-wise, they can vary from a couple hundred bucks to, you know, 20 to 40,000, depending on, uh, you know, the telephoto, the telephoto quality. But for most people that are just getting started, I will tell them, you know, get uh, a wide angle lens. I use a 24 by 70, uh, 2.8, cause it gives me a little bit more room to zoom in and zoom out and, and I can take bigger groups with it or singles. And then from there, it just depends on what you want to get into photographing. Um, so it just really depends. That's, that's when I would go to a really, really good camera store and tell them what you're looking at and, and have them kind of walk you through the different lenses. So a little bit more than megapixels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the megapixels are important. Don't get me wrong. But um, a really, really good lens is, is important to have. So, and if you're in, if you're in Utah, I'll just put a plug in for picture line. I love them. I have purchased many items from them. Um, and they are, all of their staff is very knowledgeable and they're very eager to help. 
and not necessarily eager to make a sale. So they're more eager to to help you find what you need. Awesome. Okay. Tim or Cameron? Uh, would you um, put in a word of encouragement for, I think a lot of people are really intimidated by photography. They think that it's it's out of their league and they um, also might think that they, um, um, you know, need to have like tons of equipment and stuff. Um, mm. Is that, uh, you know, what would you say no. to someone who's like, ah, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably just going to, you know, how would you encourage uh, someone in that? You book? know, more and more, the equipment that you have is is not, you don't really need to worry about that because, you know, the, the newer iPhones and the Google Pixel and, and some of these newer, you know, phones that are on the market, even the ones that are a little bit older have great cameras and, and it gives you accessibility to shoot anywhere. You know, I would tell someone if they're intimidated by, you know, the, the lack of equipment that they have or, or whatever, I, I would just remind them that, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's painting with light. So you have the power to, to tell your narrative through, through painting with light. And that is something that has been a great comfort to me. I've um, I've worked through a lot of a lot of issues and trauma in my life uh, behind behind the camera, and I would just I would just let them know it doesn't matter whether or not anybody ever sees what you photograph, as long as it means something to you, and as long as it was therapeutic to you or it helped you feel better as an artist or as a person or you know if it just relieves tension in your life then that's all that matters it doesn't matter if anyone else sees it or if anyone else thinks it's good all that matters is what you think awesome cool. yeah that's a quite great way to finish unless cameron has any additional reflective information like this particular white variety white <laughs> shirt you should wear uh, a bright white shirt and it also helps if you're a large person to be reflective <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say, I mean, I I don't know if kids today really have as big of a problem getting into art. I mean, everyone is on Instagram or Snapchat taking pictures, doing stuff, you know, and basically all you need is a stand for your camera and a ring light. I mean, and then you're good to go. And that's pretty cheap. So. Awesome. Well. Uh, I appreciate, Katie, you sharing your information and knowledge with us about photography and Tim Anytime. Uh, for whatever you contributed. Moderating. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I it was really appreciate it. Before we sign off here, I just wanted to update our, po our podcast user. Dang it, I would say user because I'm a software person. Our listeners are... Um, Global, as I've said before, but we've got a new distinction. Every state in Germany is now listening to us. Um, every province, state, and territory in Australia. But we still can't wrangle those Yukonian, Yukonite, whatever they are. The, the Yukon, the Yukon territory, Tim. Oh, the so, Yukonians. Um, yes, yes, yes. So, um, and across the United States. Uh, uh, so. Feel free to share this, and please do share this information, this podcast with your friends, 
we'll have uh, people that really know what they're talking about on like Katie frequently so that we're not always just, um, you know, listening to Tim. Um, Heaven forbid. <laughs> I mean, his, his kid, the, the students that actually go to his class, school don't even listen. To him, so. uh, all right. Well, thank you. And we'll be back again next, next podcast. Bye.